0: Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, we've been going through this series during Advent, uh, looking at this text. We've talked about the Wonderful Counselor, the, the great advisor that makes us go, Wow. We talked uh, last week about Mighty God, today we're talking that Everlasting Father, and then next week Keith's going to talk about Prince of Peace. So if you're reading through this passage, we know that the prophet Isaiah is telling us about the one who is foretold to come, to save us all, Emmanuel, God with us. We know that he's talking here about Jesus. He's describing Jesus with four different names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if you know about Jesus, and you know a little bit about Scripture and about, you know, Christian theology and doctrine, one of those names should make you pause. One of those names should make you wonder. Because here we are, and we're supposed to be talking about Jesus, but they're referring to him here as Everlasting Father? Hold up. Wait a second. If you know anything about you know, Christian theology, you know, that there's, you know we talk about God being three persons. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here we are talking about the Son and calling him the Father. What? Now you can start spinning down this rabbit hole of the Trinity and wondering what this is all about and get yourself totally twisted in knots, but you don't have to. Because it's actually so much more simple than that. Right here, the prophet Isaiah is simply, is not saying that Jesus is the father in the Trinity, but instead that the mighty king who is coming, the wonderful counselor who is coming, the one who is the prince of peace who is coming, he's going to treat his people more like children than subjects. The prophet Isaiah here in this four names is describing the child given to us so that we may recognize him when he arrives. Mighty God, Prince of Peace, wise strategist. All of these things could conjure in your mind. I don't know if it does for you, but it does for me. All those descriptors make me think of some big guy. We talked about Dwayne Johnson, right? Uh, back with a wonderful counselor. So, you know, this big guy sitting on a throne, maybe, you know, wonderful counselor, great advisor. I think somebody quite stoic, you know, maybe a bit unflappable, somebody that you would go to war with, you know, and rally behind. And and this this one descriptor of everlasting father, for me, takes that image in my mind and just colors it a little bit differently the image changes from from that of a stoic unflappable ruler and it changes the face to be beaming beaming with parental type love shining out of his eyes when he looks at his people his people that he doesn't treat like subjects to be ruled over but instead treats like children in his home and in his family. Now, <clears throat> this Emmanuel, the one who is to come, we will recognize him because he will have everlasting, unending, unyielding, undying love for his children. Now, I'm sure that royal rulers love their people. As a leader, I can confidently tell you I love my team But the love of a leader for their people is very different than the love a parent has for their child. A parent's going to provide for their kids, comfort them, tend to their boo-boos, discipline them to keep them safe. A parent is going to sacrifice themselves over and over and over again because they love their kids. Isaiah is promising that the one who is to come is going to bring this kind of love. And Isaiah isn't the only one who talks of it. You go through uh, psalms, they sing of it. Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. That would make a good song. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. You can hear it. You can hear it, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting. It's beautiful. So the prophets prophesied of the coming Savior with this everlasting father, parental kind of love for his people. The psalmist sang of enduring, never-ending, parental kind of love of God. The psalmist sang, and the prophets prophesied, and then he came. A baby born in a manger, the one we have all this hubbub about this time of year. He grew up to be a curious little boy who knew exactly who he was and to who he belonged. And he traveled and he taught with incredible, marvelous power. But he did so graciously. The rumors began circling with the people. Was he the one who was foretold? How would we know? When Jesus shows up, we recognize in him, in him over and over again this parental type of leadership from him in the way that he conducted himself, in the way that he treated others. If you think through, just flip through in your mind the different stories of Jesus and you can begin to point it out, to, to recognize it in his actions and in his words, I think particularly about the moment when Jesus was standing on the hill overlooking Jerusalem, and he wept over it, grieving, lamenting, like a parent whose child has gone astray, and he wishes that they would return and make better choices. I think about Jesus feeding people, healing them, making space for people. This isn't the image of an unflappable ruler, but instead, a ruler who loves His people like they are his children he sat and taught his people encouraging them challenging them how they can live at peace with one another desiring that they would learn to listen and do well one of the pieces where I show Jesus consistently showing up with that parental type love is in the way that he told stories I get to babysit my friends uh, kids every once in a while my favorite part is before nighttime when you say it's gonna be one story And then you have another story. And then you have another story. And I totally get taken advantage of, and I know it, and I don't care either, because I'll read that little guy ten stories before bed, and it will be way past his bedtime, but we both love it, no regrets. (laughs) His parents are in the front row. Um, Jesus told stories. Rather than a king making decrees and regulations and edicts, Jesus sat on the beach, and he told stories. And he sat at the dinner table, and he told stories. The kind of stories that he told. When he was describing the kingdom of God, he would tell stories about about a woman who lost a coin and how she searched her house high and low until she found it. And when she finally found it, she had a party to celebrate that her lost coin was found. He told stories about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And when one wandered away, he left the 99 to pursue the one. And when he found it, he put it on his shoulders and he brought it back home and celebrated that his lost sheep was found. He told a story about a father whose son had gone away and completely disowned him and disowned the family. He told a story about a father who waited And waited and when his son returned home he claimed him the father ran to the son and said this is my son my son has returned and they had a party to celebrate his return jesus told stories throughout the gospel we see jesus weeping over the death of a friend we see him saying things like greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends And he did exactly that. Do you know the story? You know that he willingly laid his life down. This is the great, undying, limitless, unyielding love of Jesus. This is the passionate love God has for his children. No stoic in this. Not unflappable, not a passive Prince of Peace. This God is emotional. This God is movable. This God is heartbroken half the time. This God is passionate and displays a moving, deep, parental type of love. Do you recognize it? Do you recognize what Isaiah talked about when he talked about everlasting Father? Do you recognize that approach in the ways of Jesus? I remember back when I was a youth worker, one of my teens had just gotten her N, and uh, she was all excited to go for her first drive on her own without her parents in the car. And so her, she got her sister to hop in the car with her, and the two of the girls turned on the music, and they took off down the road. I was standing there in the, in the family's driveway, and the girl's mother was right beside me. And as these girls took off down the road, the mother just watched them go, and she just said, there goes my entire world. When mighty God looks at humanity, he goes, there's my entire world. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. Is there a love deeper than the love of a parent to a child? I have a question for you this morning that we're going to explore together. And I hope that it's a question that buries itself inside of your brain, makes a little nest, and aggravates you for years. (laughs) And here's the question. If you knew, if you really, actually knew the everlasting love of the Father... How would that change you? Because I bet it would change everything. I can say this pretty confidently because it's actually been the privilege of my life to see what happens to a person when they go from feeling insecure and unloved to being secure and loved and knowing to whom they belong. That's my personal story, and I'm going to be vulnerable and share some of that with you later. And it's a story that doesn't just belong to me, but belongs to my family. And I have their permission to share their stories with you today. But first, a little lesson in attachment theory and the art of claiming. Uh, This is going to be a short and dirty explanation, uh, and the psychiatrists, any psych majors, doctors in the congregation can scold me later over my oversimplification of this theory. Uh, Just send your complaints directly to me. Uh, You can find me at Keith at mcachurch.ca. Attachment theory, (laughs) in brief, is the psychological... Explanation for the emotional bonds and relationships between people especially between a parent and a child But it can also be between romantic partners Uh, People are born with the need Absolute biological need to form attachments between caregivers and children The early years as these attachments and bonds are formed that actually creates the template for how we create connections with people for the rest of our lives It's important stuff. The theory of attachment suggests that attachment forms between a parent and a child through a repetitive cycle of distress and soothing. Distress and soothing, distress and soothing. When a baby feels pain, it cries. The parent comes and soothes the child, and this causes attachment between them. And it actually is reciprocal. It goes both ways. Because anybody who's been around a crying child knows it causes you as the caregiver distress to hear the crying of the child so actually the parent goes through distress of hearing the child cry to when they're soothed the parent is soothed as well so there's a distress soothe distress soothe rhythm that happens and between each of those every repetition of that further creates those bonds of attachment That bond of attachment creates the template of how you attach and connect to other people for the rest of your life. This can be, this is absolutely important. And we know it's absolutely important because when it goes wrong, if the attachment cycle is disrupted, if there was an early bond between a parent and a caregiver that was severed, or maybe there was a bond between a parent and a caregiver that was severed, and then another bond happened that was severed, and then another bond happened that was severed. That can break your ability to connect with people going forward. <clears throat> it can, uh, this development uh, allows you to have healthy adult relationships that are based on trust and empathy. This shows a child that they are safe, and it allows them to grow. It allows their brain to grow, but it actually also, we've discovered, allows their body to grow. If this, if um, if there's insecure attachment, disrupted attachment, if there is a breaking in this cycle of of creating these bonds in children, um, it can stunt their growth. Uh, and They can simply not grow they can actually die i killed a rabbit once doing this (laughs) i didn't mean to and it wasn't mine (laughs) i was house sitting for my boss i was 17 years old i worked at a bed and breakfast and catering company on salt spring island One summer, when I was 17, my boss took her family and went to England for four weeks and left the business to me. Uh, Part of my duties was to take care of the house, the business, uh, and the kid's rabbit. So in the morning, there's basic instructions. Uh, In the morning, I had to take the rabbit out of its inside cage and put it into its outside cage. I gave it food, I gave it water. I would go about my work for the day. At the end of the day, I would take the rabbit from its outside cage and put it back inside food water I did this every day and it slowly over the weeks ate less and less and it drank less and less and it stopped playing and it stopped hopping and the day after my boss and her family came home the bunny died And the vet said that the bunny died because of lack of love. Gosh, I didn't know you could do that. What's true, apparently bunnies actually need to be held, and they need to be cuddled, and they need to be played with, and they need to interact. Otherwise, they will simply stop living. That was a learning lesson for me. So what's true for bunnies is actually also true for humans. We see this, actually, at the Gospel Mission all the time. A great portion of people who end up homeless and living in shelters are there because of a lack of ability to create sustainable relationships with other people. A good portion of them have grown up through the foster care system, where they have had attachments broken repeatedly affecting their ability to create attachments and build healthy relationships as adults. Early childhood neglect has extraordinary adverse effects on the human brain and the development of children. Dr. Bruce Perry in his book, uh, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, which I recommend, absolutely, if you want to get super sad. Um, <laughs> uh, it tells several stories about what happens to children when they are neglected and when attachment is disrupted. He tells the story of a 10-year-old girl who was only 25 pounds. She'd been seen by doctors for years, trying to figure out what was wrong. She'd gone through every single test imaginable, trying to figure out what was happening in her gut, that they would pump her full of nutrients, they would pump her full of all that she would possibly need, and her body simply wouldn't keep it, and she wasn't growing. She wouldn't grow. She's like a little bonsai tree of a person. And with no answers, they finally brought in the psychiatrist. So Dr. Perry came in and with simple observation noted the young girl's mother. The young girl's mother had herself grown up in foster care. She had been attached to someone and at the age of six months, removed. At the year one year, removed. Forms bonds again, removed. So the mother herself didn't know how to form attachments with people properly. And so when she became a mother herself, she knew that what she was supposed to do as a mother she knew she needed to feed. She had to change their diaper. She know, she needed to create, uh, s- satisfy those basic physical needs. But she didn't know how to cuddle, and she didn't know how to soothe, and she didn't know how to coo, and she didn't know how to play and how to smile back, play peekaboo, And so she didn't. She never touched the girls. She met her basic needs, but didn't have any of the soft, this little girl was dying because of lack of affection. Now, the good news is that little girl actually grew up to be small for her, small person, but totally healthy in all other respects. Even the most neglected souls can be healed there. There is the gospel in a nutshell. Do you want know the... Recipe was the the treatment that was described for this little girl unconditional love unconditional love and affection There is a woman uh, she'd been off. They call her mama P in the book, and she had fostered hundreds of children in her time, and she was just this soft, warm, uh, bubbly woman, and she just wrapped that little girl in her arms, and she wrapped her mother in her arms, and she taught both of them how to love, and they both healed in the process. Beautiful, touching story, I wept. There's another story in the book that caught my attention, and I related to it too much later. It tells a tragic story that I'm sure gives parents nightmares Uh, These parents had noticed that their baby under a year old had simply stopped fussing. It was a perfect child. It wouldn't fuss, it wouldn't cry. And then it stopped eating. This worried the parents, who were two working professionals. They had hired a nanny to care for their baby during the day when they were both at work. They put in a nanny cam, and soon they realized the truth, that their nanny had taken on a second job. So the nanny would show up in the morning, take the child. The parents would leave for work. The nanny would put the child in the crib, leave for seven hours, and then come back before the parents came home, change the diaper, feed the child, and the parents came home. The baby had stopped crying because the baby came to learn that it doesn't matter how long you cry, Nobody is coming to help Here's the piece I want you to remember We as humans when we think nobody loves us we stop crying When we think help isn't coming We stop asking for it We lose the ability to cry I have three children Uh, 22 years old, 18 years old, and 16 years old. This is the part when you guys look at me and go, Carmen, you're far too young and pretty to have those children of those ages. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Um, uh, Our children all came to us um, as teenagers uh, through the foster care system here in Kelowna. And um, I tell you that because it's relevant to the rest of what I'm gonna share with you about our story today and what I've learned about the power of everlasting love to change and heal hearts. Because I think that this is what Jesus has for all of us. One of my kids didn't cry for four years. Four years, not a single tear. Kid had plenty of reasons to cry too. I asked her about it one time. I asked her why she didn't cry. She was like 13. And she said it really bluntly. Oh, I used to cry all the time when I was a kid. But then I realized it wouldn't change anything, so I stopped. It wasn't until she had fully, securely attached to us in our family, it wasn't until she fully and totally trusted that she belonged to us and that we were never going to leave her, that she felt safe enough to start to cry. Do you know what happens when you take a pop bottle and you shake it up and then you open it? So imagine if that pop bottle was a 14-year-old child, but she was filled with trauma, grief, and pain, and then you shook her up for four years and then popped the top. She was right to hesitate, She knew that when it came, it was going to be big, the explosion. She knew it was going to hit the ceiling and then leave all of us in the room getting pop-dripped on our heads for the next few months. In a night of epic proportions, she opened it up. And it hit the ceiling, just like she was afraid that it would. We sat on the bathroom floor crying for hours, sometimes all night. We laid in bed for days. We drove in circles around the neighborhood for hours, just not ready to get out of the car yet. We used up enough tissues to soak up all of Niagara Falls. When the dam burst in a cataclysmic event, it was like riverbanks were destroyed and whole towns were taken out. I'm being a little bit dramatic, but it was a really hard time for all of us. But then, the water flowed back into the safe confines of its natural banks. And it was good. It was healing. And she now had access to emotions that she never had access to in the past. Eventually, the tears slowed. Eventually, the laughter came back again. And she can cry now. And she can cry about normal things. She never used to cry before. Now, she cries all the time. She called me crying two days ago because she had slept through her alarm and she was going to be late for work and she wanted 20 bucks for an Uber. (laughs) And I, do you know what? I gave it to her so happily. Afterwards, she sent me a text message and she said, sorry, I just woke up. I was having a panic attack and I just call you when that happens. I was so happy because she cried, and she called because she knew I'd pick up, because she knew she's loved, she knows she's mine, and I'm hers. Our adoption classes said that you can tell a child has successfully built those attachments and bonds and claimed you as their parents when they fall down. If you're at the park, like my kids came as like 12-year-olds, but if they're little and you're at the park and they fall down in the dirt and they immediately look up for you, you've won them. They cry because they know you care. They look for you because they know who they belong to. And when you run to them and pick them up and you say, you're mine, You've claimed them. I'm here to tell you that the love of Jesus is so great that he hears you when you cry. He holds you in your sorrow. He's here to pick you up when you fall. He counts every tear. Psalm 56.8 is one of my favorites. You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. That is the everlasting, fatherly, parental-type love that Jesus brings. This attachment uh, that happens later, if you're trying to build attachment with a child who comes from trauma... It builds over a tiny thousand moments. This cycle of distress soothing is one that I know well. One of our kids gave us a very explicit opportunity to build it by fabricating moments of distress so that we could come and soothe. I was afraid for a time that my daughter was a hypochondriac. One of our girls, when she came into our home, she would complain of an ache, a tummy ache, a knee ache, a back ache, Uh, There was a cut, so small I couldn't see it. But they were there several times a day. I became an expert tensor bandager. (laughs) I would wrap her ankle, her knee, her elbow several times a day as new uh, ailments arose. She complained of headaches and wanted Advil so often, I started using placebos. (laughs) And it's funny how uh, they worked just fine. I heated up water bottles, put cold cloths on foreheads every night. And this was this 12-year-old, scared little girl's way of crying to see if I'd be there to pick her up, to soothe her. I was being tested. Will you be here for me when I need you? That's what she was asking me. So I bandaged and I hot water bottled. And when I was really, really, really tired, I offered a shot of Buckley's because I just wanted her to say, no, I feel better, and go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But in doing this, she gave me the opportunity to build that bond with her. Do we give God the same opportunity to soothe us when we are in distress? Do we give Him that same opportunity to pick us up when we fall? Do we give Him the chance To soothe us in our distress, do we cry out to him? I remember times I would sit in the dark in her room, back when she was new, and I'd rub her back as she fell asleep. Every night, for months, I'd repeat the words, you are safe, you are loved, you are safe, you are loved, you are safe, you are loved. loved." The everlasting Father, a kind of love that is offered to all of us, reaches out to humanity in our distress and says, Fear not, for I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Fear not, for I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Fear not, for I am with you always. So do you know it? Do you really, really know it? I ask you the question again. If you knew, if you really, really knew that you had the everlasting sort of love, like a father who will never leave you and never forsake you, if you had that parental potency of love offered to you, how would that change you? Would you cry more? Would you ask for help more? When you fell on your face in the dirt and you ended up in trouble, would he be the first one that you look to? Would he be the first thought to cry out to him in your distress? I think you'd cry more. I think I would. Do you think you'd strive less to be loved and just know that you are? Do you think you'd hoard less, knowing that there will always be enough? Do you think you'd calm down and let go knowing that you're safe? If you knew it, if you really really, really knew it how would it change your life if you knew you had that kind of love? I think we're going to end it there. My little timer's ticking. Let me pray. The band's going to come back up. God, we know that you are more than a ruler who brings down edicts. We, are no, we know that you are more than a king who's here to rule, but in your rule, you'll treat us less like subjects and more like children that you have undying, unyielding love for. God, we want to give you a chance. God, Christmas can be hard really hard. So God, when we fall, would you remind us to look to you because you're always there. And that you'll never leave us. And you'll never forsake us. And that in our distress we can cry out to you because of your great, great, great love. God, would you you take that truth of your great love and just... God, we help us to just live in that? God, we help us to feel it right down into our bones that we would know that we are yours and you are ours, that we are family, that you have claimed us as your own. God, help us to learn to trust you in that great love that you offer us. Help us to come to be secure in that love that you have for us. And may that change the way we walk, the way we talk, the decisions that we make. With the knowledge of being secure in your love, free us from the things that bind us, from the habits that trick us up, from from the things that, that are inhibiting our life right now and getting in the way. God, may we know you're great. Everlasting, unyielding, everlasting, everlasting, everlasting love. And may it change everything. Amen.